As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Howdy, everyone. Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined as always by AJ Maletsko uh, on her phone somewhere in the Northeast. I couldn't tell you where. Hi, AJ. <laughs> Hi, Arthur. I am actually sitting in my car in at the Flynn Memorial Rink in Medford, Massachusetts, while my son uh, has hockey practice. So you know what? Okay. It is. It's at a rink somewhere, just a different one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and before we get started, I just want to let everybody know you can participate in our second annual listener survey at the Athletic by visiting surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio survey. Don't worry, the link is in the episode description. It only takes a few minutes and it helps us make our show better. So thanks for that. And now uh, you can also thank us and thank the Islanders for having a pretty great week that just uh, finished. They did lose a point to Pittsburgh in overtime on Saturday on a really weird goal by Chris Letang in in kind of a weird game. But uh, boy, there was a lot to like in those other two games, which was a 7-2 win over the Bruins last Thursday. Uh, and then a 2 nothing shutout of the Penguins on Sunday. And then tonight they're in New Jersey uh, to play the Devils. And really, I think the thing that uh, we take away from those three games last week, AJ, is uh, the power play is really humming, which we haven't seen in a long time with this team. And a lot of it has to do with the addition of Oliver Wallstrom. Well, first of all, how much easier is our job when the Islanders play well <laughs> and they start getting points? Because that is just so much more fun. I mean, we can analyze and we can talk about the negative side, but it's just not as much fun. Um, so you, don't, you I, must not know a lot of Islander fans because sometimes they <laughs> like the negative side. But for now, they'll take the good stuff. All right. Anyway. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I agree with you. The last three games, there was a lot to like. There was a lot to break down on the good side. Um, there were, you know, of course, as a uh, analyst, there were some things that I did break down that I, I'd like to see them do a little bit better. And there's that's sort of always the the player, the coach, the perfectionist in all of us, right? You, you want, you always want better and want a little bit more, but um, yeah, you know, the power play special teams always play such a critical role. And I remember last year, Barry Trott saying that they could play five on five with anybody in the league. And, but it was their special teams. It was sort of without saying it was the power play that really struggled. Their power, their penalty kill has always been pretty consistent, uh, but their power play just looked anemic for a lot of the year. And, and, arguably over the last two years um, with, and you know, they've got some talent, obviously on this team. So it was always a little bit surprising, a little bit frustrating. 
And I do think that the arrival of Oliver Wallstrom has changed that. It's because he has an elite level shot. And that's the biggest thing. And I think it's taken a little bit of time for him to figure out when and where to take the shot. And one of the things I was most impressed by in the win on Sunday, the most recent win against uh, Pittsburgh, was Wallstrom had that power play goal, which was amazing. It was just a shot. And I think it was Sezekis actually who said it in his intermission interview. He said that puck was on his stick and then it was in the back of the net. And even if you didn't blink, you didn't see it. It was so quick. Uh, But then what impressed me is when he got his assist uh, on Pajot's power play goal later in the game, he didn't just try to do the same thing. And I think a lot of young players, you find success and I'm supposed to be a shooter. I'm going to get the puck and I'm going to shoot it. Instead, he looked up, he realized that the Penguins had adjusted. They had put somebody right out on top of him, which by the way, you should take some confidence in that, right? That's a best compliment ever. They had adjusted. He read that and threaded that cross seam pass that led to that goal for Pajot's goal. So I was really impressed with, with the way that he was able to evolve just within that game. Yeah, and and to see a guy who last season, you know, had had a a brief call up when they needed someone uh, at the beginning of the year and didn't score a point in nine games. They didn't lose in those nine games back last season. That I know it feels like a hundred years ago, but that was during the Islanders' seventeen game uh, unbeaten streak. And you know, he did okay. Uh, started out really effective, and then was kind of like diminished a little bit as young guys do. And he had an okay season in the AHL. But I, there are some guys who just have a have a skill set that's better suited to better competition and I think watching him out there the way he seems to think the game like you said you know he has a little deception in him too like he I think Barry even mentioned that he's a he's a much better distributor than I think anybody thought he'd be for a guy who who has no conscious conscience most times when he's got the puck on his stick and really some of the things that he's doing 5 on 5 he's not going to be a 15 minute a night 5 on 5 guy anytime soon but on that line with Pajot and most recently, Michael Dalcall, um, they're able to, you know, as Trot said after that game on Sunday, he had them out against Malkin's line a lot. And Malkin's not having a great year, but still it's Evgeny Malkin. And Trotz didn't have any concerns. And that, I think, uh, in the Islanders world is almost as big a compliment as, wow, you can do a lot with the puck on your stick on the power play. Yeah, and I think it shows the depth, right? And, and la- a year it was just about a year ago, we're all talking about the Pajot trade at the deadline. He comes in and he really solidifies that center position up and down the lineup, barring injuries. And so, it, you know, and then, of course, the first six weeks of this season, it's been a rotating cast of wingers for Pajot on that third line. But if you can solidify that and you can make that line both a checking line and a scoring line because Pajot can score some big goals. And obviously we've seen Wallstrom score some big goals, whether it's on the power play or not, then you know that they can really contribute to that depth and to the fact that uh, Trotz can roll out these lines. And then, you know, you come off a power play, which is used a lot of people in that top nine, but then afterwards you come out with that energy line, that fourth line to, to keep that momentum go, whatever momentum you built on the power play, whether they scored or didn't. Um, I do like the way that Wallstrom has utilized the mentorship of Pajot. I think a lot of young guys coming in now, there is a, there's a sense of for these young guys coming in, they've been very successful. All of them, if, if they're a, a teenager or a young, you know, t- whatever, 20 something kid coming into the league, they've clearly had success 
at, at whatever level they've played, and they're clearly very talented and skilled players. It's those that are then wanting, uh, able and willing to work that extra bit on the other parts of their game. So everybody knew about his shooting, but now Barry Trotz had, was very clear with him, you need to work on the other side of your game. And he's leaned heavily on Pajot for that. And even Barry Trotz said it in his post-game comments the other night. He said, you know what, I needed him to, to get leaner in the offseason. I needed him to be a better skater. It's not just about shooting. It's not just about scoring. He's got to play the other aspects. And so he's sort of showing his hand a little bit. This is what I asked of him, say, six months ago. And this is how he's delivered. And I'm going to reward him for that. Yeah, and I don't think you can completely discount the fact that uh, Wallstrom went and played some hockey while everyone else was was kind of locked down in the fall. He went over to Sweden, where his father's from, and played in the second division there. It was only 10 games. He actually got hurt there and missed a couple. But still, it was competitive hockey, and I'm sure for a kid like him, uh, it, it made a big difference coming into camp in terms of his confidence. He was maybe in a bit more of a groove. He still had to wait a little while to get in to a game here, but uh, but yeah, he's... He's showing a lot, and I think uh, a lot of the difference, too, in these last three games has been we've been seeing the Anthony Beauvillier we're used to seeing the last couple of years, and especially last season. He's not still, still still not scoring quite as well. He's still stuck on one goal, but it was a big one against the Bruins uh, where he picked Trent Frederick's pocket right in front of the net and beat Yara Halak, who gave one of the great Yara Halak stare downs that uh, a lot of Islander fans have come to know and maybe not love so much, but uh, Yara's an entertaining guy, and then they just blew up that third period. And the, the reemergence of that Beauvillier, Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey line, um, which did a lot of the heavy lifting against Sidney Crosby in the weekend games and did pretty well against them. Um, that's a hugely necessary part of what the Islanders need to be doing. Well, what a relief, right? I mean, yeah. I, it was, I think, for all of us watching them sort of holding our breath, waiting for, uh, you know, Bailey to to return to what we are expecting of a Josh Bailey. And to me, he wasn't making egregious errors. He just was invisible. And, and that's not good enough. If you're somebody like Josh Bailey, a veteran on this team, and then, and sort of the same with Brock Nelson. I mean, he's a big rangy guy can make a a difference up and down middle of the ice. And, and I, it goes to show how important chemistry is and how important when these guys, a, a a trio like that, work so well together and rely on each other and they all bring something different, right? And Bovillier is sort of the engine on that line. He gets his feet moving and when he's flying around, I mean, you, you, you reference that goal against the Bruins. That was uh, obviously it was the game winning goal. And it, it's, it's uh, sort of was the segue into that, that flood that he opened the floodgates, let's say uh, for that third period, but he almost had another one similarly against the Penguins where right off the opening face off of the, I believe it was the third period it was a Pittsburgh faceoff win, and he just jumped off that hash mark, and he got right on the defenseman, and he went in and almost had a clear shot. He didn't score, but he's showing that sort of uh, that quickness and and that forecheck ability and that sort of grit and grind in the corner, um, which then allows a little bit more space for the Bailey and the and Nel- uh, Bailey and Nelson out higher in the zone sometimes. So I think it is really critical that they get going. That first line has been consistent and they have been really good. I think they haven't been as noticeable the last couple games, but I think the only reason for that is that that Nelson line is finally noticeable. And, and then of course the Pajot, Wallstrom and Dal Cole line has been really good. And and I think the fourth line is settled into where people, what people expect of them. So the last three games, you know, you mentioned it, 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 there was a lot to like. Some of it was that sense of, oh, this is the Islanders that we were expecting on January 13th. 
and it's taken them some time to get there, whether it's because of injuries, whether it's because it's a weird season, whether it's because you can't discount the fact that COVID and quarantine and this, this weird time we're living in affects all of us differently. Um, so for whatever reason, they do seem to be settling into that Islanders work ethic and that Islanders depth, both scoring and defense uh, that we've all come to expect. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, we talked about a lot of the good stuff uh, led by Oliver Wallstrom, and there's still some good mixed in with the not so good uh, in our second segment here. Um, and we're going to focus, I think, on that second D pair of Nick Letty and Scott Mayfield. And Letty's been getting a lot of good notices. He's been piling up the assists. Uh, I think he's sixth or seventh in the league for defensemen and assists already with 13 and 21 games. He's he only had 18 all of last year. And this is a guy who was a, a pretty steady 40 point guy when he first got to the Islanders several years ago. So that's a welcome sight. Um, but that pairing has had some struggles and I've written about them too. Um, you know, there's clearly, we talked about chemistry in the first segment. It takes a little while, I'm sure for, for defensive pairs and, and everybody on this team has said, well, we've all played with each other, been around each other, but it's different when you're out there every shift. And I think, uh, Scott Mayfield misses having Devon Taves there, even though he and Nick Letty have a similar skill set. And I think you're seeing, even though some of the underlying numbers for these two guys are very positive. They're they're well over 50% in terms of shot share when they're on the ice. High danger chance share, they're almost, as, I think, to 60% in their favor when they're on the ice. But it does feel like when there's a breakdown on the ice, and it's not always their fault, but it does end up being a grade A scoring chance or a goal most times. And uh, that's got to be frustrating for the Islanders to try to figure out because that second pair plays a pretty big role uh, in the team this season. You know, it is interesting because I'm not a, a really big stats person in terms of um, all the, the numbers, and, and I find them interesting when they don't reflect what my eye test tells me. Yeah. So, you, you know, you're saying their numbers are good. That that pairing to me hasn't looked right. Um, that doesn't mean they won't look right. That doesn't mean that there, there isn't value in giving time to gel. I mean, it's a short season, so... I think all of us are a little wary about saying, okay, well, just give them a, give them some time, give them some time. We're, you know, seven weeks into the season. Um, so thinking, okay, we're over a third of the way through the season. They should be gelling. Now, with that said, the top pair of Pelic and Pollock are, are where are the expectations? You know, they, they're, they get a lot of the minutes against the shutdown top pair, top lines of the opponents. Um, Dobson, I think has had his ups and downs, but he's a young player. I think for the most part, it's, it's positive and he's trending in the right direction. And I think Andy Green has been as steady and consistent as they come. So because all of that, I think that makes the Letty Mayfield pairing a little bit more head scratching, trying to figure out what, what's missing. 
Um, I like the way Letty is skating because he is a beautiful skater. I mean, from a technical perspective, he's just, he moves so easily and so smoothly, but he can drive me crazy in past years when he doesn't use that, that skating ability. And this year he really seems to be getting on his horse and uh, Butch and Brennan make fun of me. I keep calling him the puck transporter uh, because he does. He just gets up, he decides I'm going to get it from defense to offense and I'm going to get it down there and then either dump it or, and that's how he's gotten a lot of his assists or he's had some beautifully, he had one beautiful assist to a break. Matt Barzell to the neutral zone, uh, high head up, beautiful pass right on his stick. Um, so, you know, and I think Mayfield struggled and I don't know, he's got a really good head for the defensive side of the game. I think some of it is all six defense have been given a little bit more of a green light this year to jump in the play. I've asked Barry Trotz about it and he said, well, yeah, but we always give our D that, but, and maybe that's true this year. They seem to be doing it more. I mean, look at Pellick's goal, his only goal, the one he got this weekend, he snuck down in the zone. We didn't really see him do that over the last couple of years where if he got a goal, it was a shot from the point or an occasional rush, but he's really closing the gap from the point when he sees that. And some of that too, and we've talked about this in our pregame show is that the forwards are doing a really good job supporting them high in the zone. So the defense can sneak in. Um, but I think that's not a comfortable side of the game for Mayfield. So if Letty's jumping up to the play a lot, it leaves Mayfield back alone, right? Or if, and then if Mayfield think, well, maybe I'm supposed to sneak in, but that's, he's maybe a little bit more unsure about that. So again, I think as the season goes on, they are going to figure out that balance. The fact that they make a mistake, all, all 60, I mean, everybody on the Islanders, everybody who plays hockey makes a mistake. So all six defensemen make mistakes all the time, but you're right that when that pair does, it seems that the other team is more opportunistic. And it is a funny, you're watching him and you're sort of like, what, how did that just happen? That he made this sort of seemingly small error and now it's a it's a point blank chance in front of Varlama for Sorokin. So it, I don't expect Barry Trotz to mix anything up because it seems to be working. I don't expect him to change the decor up, but that's also really interesting because as you've mentioned and you've written about, they're the they they played only six D. I mean, that's really that's a very precarious position when you've got injuries and COVID and all these other unknowns and these things out of their control. Yeah, there's a there's a clear divide whether the Islanders want to say so or not between the six that they use and Sebastian Ajo, who's been on the roster all year long as the seventh D, and Thomas Hickey, who's been on the taxi squad all year long as the eighth D. Uh, it's no slight against the abilities of Aho or Hickey from the outside, but clearly they feel like the six that they have are the six that they're going to use. And, and I've asked Barry a couple of different ways uh, over the, over the month and a half of the season so far about, do you have any plans to adjust the situations? And I, you know, he, he gave a pretty interesting answer today about load management, which is a big phrase in the NBA where a lot of star players tend to sit out the second half of back-to-backs or just rest in general. Um, he doesn't really believe in it for hockey. He thinks you, you can throw yourself off by thinking too far ahead. And so you you work it within games. You know, if the Islanders take a 3 nothing or 4 nothing lead into the second or third period tonight uh, in Newark, you might see Ryan Pollock play a little bit less or Adam Pellick play a little bit less. Uh, if it's 1-1, you're going to see them play a little bit more and see Noah Dobson and Andy Green play a little bit less or maybe Scott Mayfield play a little bit less. I think we've seen that, you know, Nick Letty... Uh, is averaging about two minutes more at even strength than Scott Mayfield is, so they're not they're not attached to the hip for every shift five on five. I think Letty's, uh, you know, I think they rely on him a little bit more. And you're definitely right that Mayfield has struggled, and I and I do go back to how well he and Taves work together, and I think it speaks to some of the things that we, you know, Devon Taves is a great skater, is a y- little bit younger guy than Nick Letty. 
um, you know, offensively minded. But I think his hockey IQ is something that may have been a little bit underrated in the switch between him and Letty that may have helped Mayfield a lot, just the same way that I think Johnny Boychuk helped Nick Letty a lot. And they were partners for a long time. That that sort of stuff is not something that even front office people can see all the time, I imagine. Well, and also you talk about the, the chemistry. Some of that is you know, you look at the why, whether it's something you build over time, you know, you look at our, the fourth line in the scene, they've been together forever and ever, right? And they just work really, really well together. Um, so what is it about chemistry? What is it? Some people immediately have that, whether it's a D pair or a line and others don't. So, you know, they give them time to build it, but how much time, I think that's been one of the big question marks for all of us surrounding Barry Trotz is it, I mean, that's why he gets paid the big bucks, right? He's got to decide how much time he gives everybody and how long a leash he gives people from a, you know, veteran. And those two guys have been around and Barry Trotz knows them. So he's built up trust with them. Um, you know, it, it actually, uh, Mayfield led the team in penalty kill time on ice through their five kills on Sunday. Uh, and part of that was Pellick took a penalty. So, uh, he, I think usually is their big PK guy. Um, but that was interesting to me. And, and, you know, Mayfield's a big guy. He's got a big, got that long stick so he can be effective. Um, but it is, it was interesting for me to see that. I always like looking at the time on ice. I mean, Pollock is generally up over, he's been over 25 minutes lately, uh, but he plays in all situations. So that's part of it. Right. And so it is, you know, you break it down to five on five Dobson right now. He actually got no special teams time on Sunday, but he was down around 13 minutes. So it is a little bit less, but part of that is trust. Part of that is trying to figure out the load management to your point. When you, when you're, when we're sitting at home or watching the game and you're thinking, well, what's the difference between 20 minutes and 25 minutes? night in night out it's a lot and it may not be physical as much as it is mental that you're out there in those big situations and you're feeling the pressure and you know penalty kill for example that's a that's if you get stuck out there especially if it's in the second period and it's that long change and that you don't get to ice it it's a long time to keep engaged and not make the tiniest little mistake as your body fatigues so there are all these little things that go into it that we can all sit at home and look at the numbers and why is he doing this and what's the difference or let like an extra couple minutes here or there over the course of a season that's what Barry Trotz has to manage Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, so for our last segment, as usual, we've got some mail. You've got mail. Thank you, everyone, for all of your questions on Twitter. Uh, everybody's always very responsive with uh, with the questions. And we'll start with my good friend, Doc Osti, uh, who uh, I've seen at games and hope to see again at games at some time in the near future. Has a very good question about Michael Dalcall and asks, do uh, you guys have any insight into why it took a guy uh, like Michael Dalcall, as long as it did to become a useful player for us, and what was it specifically that he did to do that? Um, that's a great question, you know. And I think a lot of people look at uh, someone like Dalcall, who's a fifth overall pick, uh, as someone who, you know, development. I think to a lot of people who are not in the game is linear. Uh, you're not always paying attention to the day to day stuff, and it definitely seemed like he dropped off the prospect radar for a little while and was even a little bit lost at the AHL level. I think his first or second pro year. And then last season, 
he really just turned, you know, two seasons ago, rather, in the AHL, he turned it on. He was he was a point-per-game player in, in 20 or 25 games in the AHL, caught the eye of, of a new regime, which I think is also a situation that you have to factor in. He was drafted by Garth Snow um, and coached, you know, in the AHL level by Brent Thompson still, but... Um, you don't always see him with the same set of eyes uh, when a new GM comes in and a new NHL coach comes in. So you kind of have to prove yourself all over again. And I think the key for Michael Del Call is he's remade himself a little bit. He was a, he was like a prototypical power winger in junior, a guy who could produce 30 or 35 goals, had a little bit of, you know, it was more of an Anders Lee type. And, uh, and I think he seemed to have gotten that out of his head, not that he's not a skilled player, but he's got to be a different kind of player in the NHL. And I imagine that's a huge adjustment and doesn't really happen overnight. Yeah, you know, it is so fascinating when you look at the draft and you look at the way that these uh, professionals go in there and these these experts, right? And, and I'm always amazed at how well they do in the draft because you're looking at young kids, really young kids who, you know, what are they looking for? What is the organ, you know, how far ahead are they looking? And, and Lou notoriously, and I know that Dow Cole wasn't drafted by him, but Lou notoriously looks further ahead, right? He's, a, he's got more patience maybe than some GMs. Um, you know, and you look at somebody like Michael Dow Cole, I've been really impressed with him this year. And I think that he has, um, you know, I mentioned that in the off season, Barry Trotz said that what he needed from Oliver Wallstrom, we needed to, to lean up and he ended up dropping 15 pounds and working on his skating and, you know, all these things that Barry Trotz needed him to do. And it's, it's benefited. But when he was telling that story, this is, Barry Trotz, he said, similar to Michael Dal Cole, he did what he needed to do off the ice to bring his game to the NHL level, right? And some of that for an Oliver Wallstrom, you always hear Barry Trotz say it's a man's game, right? Playing in the juniors or all the, you know, the other places, it, it, you've got to make that adjustment. Dal Cole is a big, strong guy. You're right. And he does have a little bit of Anders Lee strength, net front presence, things like that, but he's got skill to go along with it. So the, the original question was, why did it take him so long? You know, that's a, that's, I think some of it is trying to adjust his game to the NHL game, which is unlike anything else, right? And we've talked about it with Sorokin coming over from the KHL. I mean, the NHL is the best league in the world. There's very little room for mistakes and there's very little room for, um, um, this is the way I play. How do I, you know, if I'm however old you are at the time, 18, 19, 20, you know, if you're Devon Taves, you're a little bit older when you come in, it's after college and some time in the AHL. But, you know, for for somebody like Duckle, you come in and you've played the same way your whole life and you've been coached to do something, whether it's by the same coaches you've had, skating coaches, shooting coaches, your, your parents, whatever it may be. And then suddenly you've got to adjust in ways that maybe you didn't predict. And not everybody has to go through that. But I think for Michael Del Cole, credit to him that he did change the way he had to play based on what Barry Trotz and this new regime asked of him. And he came in and he, and he's able to fit in on that third line, whether, whether or not they start adjusting the lines and whether you can look at that third line and consider it sort of a second line. I mean, that's arguably those two Pajot's line and Nelson line are sort of interchangeable if they can both match top lines like Malkins or if they can also score goals. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know specifically cause I don't remember what I, what he was like right when he came into the league, but I can say over the last two or three years, I've been really impressed with Del Cole's commitment to evolving his game. I'll tell a, a quick story about uh, a, a previous Islander regime from many years ago that I uh, was talking to Tom Fitzgerald, the devil's GM, who was a first round Islanders draft pick way back in 1986. Um, 
And he was telling me that, uh, you know, he had bounced between the AHL and the NHL his first few years with the Islanders. He was a 30-goal scorer uh, in Springfield in the AHL. And I think he saw himself a certain way. And after maybe this third or fourth season that he'd been bouncing back and forth, his his exit interview, I don't think they called him anything formal like that, but he sat down with Al Arbor, um, pretty legendary coach, who basically said to him, you have to change your game if you want to be a regular NHL or you need to learn how to be a face-off guy, be a, a checking guy, be a, a guy I can put out against the other team's top players, be a penalty killer. And, you know, Tom Fitzgerald had some skills to do all that, but I think he saw himself differently than Al Arbor saw him. And as Tom Fitzgerald told me all these years later, it was the most important conversation he ever had in hockey because he took that to heart and became a 15-year NHL player for a bunch of different teams, including Nashville for a rookie NHL coach named Barry Trotz. So, um, you know, I think a lot of players, it's not a linear situation. You, you see yourself, these are the best of the best. Uh, that's why they got drafted, whether they're first round or seventh round. And um, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to to adjust to what you can do to stay in the NHL. And I think Michael Dalcall can stay in the NHL a long time being the kind of guy that he is right now. So um, I just, Tom Fitzgerald, was it was a great story and it's Al a great Arbor, story and Al Arbor is you know he's there's so many stories to hear about like that and I think that's where Barry Trotz and Al Arbor kind of have a connection that that they do I think similar things like that that uh, that can help players in ways that we don't always see so well and a quick comment you look at with Lou Lamorell the way they try yeah. to build a team right it's not about all superstars everybody you know and parents out there for your kid you get you know build your skills build your skills absolutely help your kid with that but understand that teams need everything they need they need it it's a team right so they've got to have all the roles filled so you can't have a team of 20 goal scorers or 20 power play specialists right, right? so and that that's important I think for these young players coming to the league to understand so we'll go with one more question. We got a little diverted there. Uh, KV writes in, this is mainly for AJ, but as a defenseman, doesn't say former defenseman, so that's credit to you. <laughs> that's how long your legacy is that people still there know you, you as a defenseman. Right. <laughs> how would you try to stop Matthew Barzell from doing what he does? Oof. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I, you know, and and I, I played with a player named Natalie Darwitz. Um, she was a three-time Olympian. She was captain of the team in uh, Vancouver, but she was a young... She first made Team USA when she was 15, and she has a similar um, skill set in the sense that she's very lateral. She was a very good skater, um, but she she would go east-west on me all the time. And I always and she was also littler than Barzell. So Barzell's got some strength to him, too. But she was little, so she would just avoid uh, any... She was able... She was a good enough skater. She could do that. And I had to adjust my game. And it was really good for me to play against her in practice because I had to try, you know, as a defenseman, you're trying to take time and space away from your opponents, anywhere you are on the ice, right? As a as a defending player. So that could be a forward when you're back-checking or forward-checking, right? You're trying to take that time and space away so they don't have time to think about it, make that decision based on their thought process and take this physically space away so they have to worry about holding onto the puck. It's really hard to do that. So if I'm going backwards and Matt Barzell's coming down at me and he cuts across one way and I still go backwards, now he's created space and he's created that separation. So I have to be able to go laterally. Now, <laughs> arguably, look at the defensemen in the league. There are some really, really good skaters. And we've talked about the guys on on the Islanders team. You talked about Devon Taves now in Colorado. And how about Kale McCarr, who's out there? I mean, 
Kel McCarr is probably one of the best skating defensemen in the league uh, right now as a young guy. Um, you have these guys, but still the way that Matt Barzell cuts back and forth and uses his edges. Um, and sometimes he even deceives himself. If you watch, it's, it's sort of funny. Like he can get himself sort of caught up, but he does that. So how would I do it? Um, I mean, for me, I, I, for the tall players out there, use your stick, right? Constantly try to disrupt, but but make sure that you're looking at his body too and making sure that you're not over committing to the puck. So it's just all about movement. It's all about keeping yourself between him and your goalie behind you. And it's, it's so much, e- I'm simplifying it. It's really hard to do what I'm saying. Um, so let's just say that I'm I'm glad that I'm I'm analyzing from up top and not trying to defend a guy like number 13. Yeah, no disrespect to AJ and her incredible career, but there are some there are some good NHL defensemen who are clearly having trouble with Matthew Barzell too. So, whatever advice she's giving, um, difficult to attain. So it's 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 it's. I mean, that's what makes him so good and so fun. And thank God he's on our side, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's one of those things that you could sit there and say, "This is what I have to do." In your mind, and your body tells you, "No, I can't do that. I just I'm not. It's impossible." The way he moves is so unique and so. It's really fun. It's awesome. Well, uh, we had a lot of good stuff to talk about. I'm sure we'll have some more good stuff to talk about. It's going to be a very busy week. Uh, so when we get back together next week, uh, AJ, we'll uh, we'll have, I think it's four games to break down, including three against the Sabres. So there's a potential for a lot of points for the Islanders to pile up. It could be in a very different position in the standings uh, when we get back together next week. So enjoy the rest of your son's practice and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. All right. Sounds good. Looking forward to the games. And thanks for everyone for listening to No Sleep Till Belmont. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and review if you're enjoying the show. It really helps us out. And also remember, you can fill out our listener survey by clicking the link in the episode description. And lastly, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $3.99 a month by visiting theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. See you next week.